from New York City. A podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Cry Havoc Company. Hello, and welcome to our annual holiday episode of the Cry Havoc podcast. On December 15th, Cry Havoc held our annual holiday event, where we invited our audience to join us for an evening of holiday goodies and readings from this year's annual collection of very short holiday plays, written for our Gift to Square Foot program, which we'll tell you more about later in the episode. This year, 15 of our playwrights wrote new holiday plays for the Havoc for the Holidays collection. What follows is a live reading of eight of these plays, each followed by a few words from the playwrights about how the play came to be. Unfortunately, I was working on a project away from New York the evening of our holiday event and could not be there, so I will be listening in along with the rest of you. So I now leave you in the capable hands of Jersey Gwizdowski and Will Clark. All right! Uh, welcome, uh, Kit Lavoie, the artistic director, wishes he could be here tonight, but he is out of town for work, so you can get us. <laughs> uh, we're sorry not to have Kit, because as he always says, for the last break, this is his favorite night of the year with the company. He's out of town for work, and we're not allowed to say what it's for. <laughs> but I'm going to say it like that so you get really excited. I'm Jersey Gwizdowski, I'm Managing Director and Resident Artist for Cry Havoc. I'm Will Clark, I'm Associate Artist Director for Cry Havoc. <laughs> Did I say with? Did I say for? With? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so tonight, we are going to read some selections of our holiday plays uh, uh, that we put together every year. We can tell you later in the night about how you can... Um, purchase copies of these plays, or gift them to other people for the holidays, which is part of our annual fundraiser. Um, these plays, this assignment, uh, is there are certain criteria with which our playwrights have to uh, stick to uh, with each of these plays, and the criteria are, I'm going to try to do this for a moment. I got your back. Um, <laughs> they have to be uh, four pages or, or under, with the exception of screenplays, which will give you a little bit more room. It's a dispensation for formatting. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, Same amount of content, though. Each play has to take place during the holidays. Each play must contain at least one character from a Cry Havoc, uh, previously developed Cry Havoc play. And each play is inspired by a song that is uh, assigned randomly to each playwright. The songs this year, the theme is Watch. And uh, that relates to the fact that we are releasing some special podcast episodes that are kind of an inside look at the development of a few of the holiday plays this season. Right, so for some of our podcast listeners, this will be the culmination of a series of shorter episodes chronicling the development of these plays, which we are doing this for, for the first time. This is the grand finale. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and they're based on characters, you say they're based on characters from other private places. They're essentially holiday episodes featuring characters <coughs> that you know about. Um, and they have to be lovely and very good places. Yeah, they have to be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, great. Great. I think that's all we have to say at the beginning of this. Um, oh, and so throughout the night, 
uh, we have, we're going to be, uh, different members of the company will come up and read, uh, and uh, uh, we have, uh, who's reading stage directions for us? Allison so and Allison and Jenny are going to be swapping reading stage directions throughout the night. And shall we begin? What do you guys think? Should we start? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Christmas. It's by Allie Keller. Save your tears. Allie's the uh, uh, newest Cry Havoc resident artist. She's also the first alumni of the Cry Havoc Apprentice Company to become a resident artist, which is also a very cool thing. Uh, so, again, Independent Christmas. Uh, in the role of Anna, we have Jenny Curlin. In the role of Lennox, we have Julia Bilbao. And save directors Allison. Take it away. <laughs> Anna, a woman in her 40s, stands on top of a ladder in American flag boxers, an Uncle Sam hat, and a white tank top. She holds a large red, white, and blue candy cane while hanging a sign that reads, Uncle Sam wants you, <laughs> scrawled in Sharpie underneath, uh, to have an American Christmas. The ladder is wrapped in red, white, and blue streamers, lights, and ornaments. Lennox, 19, comes through the door with a duffel bag. She looks around the living room at all the 4th of July decorations and drops her bag. Mom. No. Happy holidays, baby girl. Where are all the regular decorations? Anna gestures to the room with her giant candy cane. The tree? Anna gestures to the ladder. The angel. Anna flaps her arms from the top of the ladder. During Independent Christmas, you can be the angel. Independent Christmas. It's your two favorite holidays in one. No. You love the 4th of July. Yeah, on the 4th of July. But it's the 24th of December. December 24th. It already has a holiday and it's Christmas Eve. No, happy holidays. Tis the season of holidays. Tis the season of Christmas, Mom. Of independent Christmas, Lennox. Sparkler. <laughs> this could be our new tradition. I like the old ones. I worked really hard on this for us. I'm sorry, Mom. It's just not exactly the Christmas I've been anticipating as the semester ended. I was really hoping for the same as everyone else, normal Christmas we usually have. But just give it a try. You loved second birthday. Yes, but second birthday started when I was little, so I'd understand I was adopted. No. Second birthday was created to celebrate the day you were born in addition to the day the three of us became a family. That's why we still celebrate. Yes. And they are on separate days for separate reasons. Well, this is about taking the separated and unifying them into something new and awesome. What are you talking about? <laughs> Our little colonies were all broken from the British, so T. Jeffs and the other forefathers were all like, hey, you know how we can fix how terrible we're all feeling? By starting our own country. All the awesome parts are on this side of the ocean anyway. Yes, and although that's not exactly how that happened, we celebrate that on the 4th. Right, but on Christmas, Mary and Joseph were like, where are we gonna have this baby? The last, <laughs> 
That last innkeeper was terrible and told us to leave, and now the whole world is closed. But then they found a hut and were like, screw this. We'll have this baby with all these animals everywhere, and he'll still grow up to be the son of God and save all the people ever. Again? That's not exactly how that happened. No. These two holidays belong together. They're all about people who saved themselves. Anna climbs halfway up the ladder. She strikes a pose reminiscent of George Washington crossing the Delaware. (laughs) (laughs) No matter what, we'll conquer what comes our way together. Okay. Why don't we start by conquering your weird aversion to Christmas this year by redecorating? Lennox heads to a hall closet. Anna pulls out a sparkler and lights it. I haven't been home since the summer. I'm exhausted and stressed out and... As Lennox returns with a box labeled Christmas, Anna stands over her holding the sparkler. Mom, I'm... Come on. Lennox takes the sparkler. Huh? Huh? No one can be upset while holding a sparkler. (laughs) Lennox opens the box and pulls out a small tabletop Christmas tree that is charred and melted. What happened? It's melted. Because? Because that's what happens when you put a sparkler on an artificial tree. (laughs) You melted the tree and put it back in the box? It's not the tree's fault it got destroyed. I'm not just going to throw it away because it's not perfect anymore. Okay. Lennox starts digging through the box again and pulls out a tiny headless angel. She digs again and pulls out the angel's head. You decapitated the Christmas angel. Put her back in the box, please. Fine. But eventually, Mama will go into this box and see that you murdered the Christmas tree angel she bought last year because it looks so much like you. I highly doubt that. How much you want to bet that tonight she's going to take one look at this room and head straight for the Christmas box? Tonight? Yeah. When did you talk to her? A few days ago. What'd she say? She said that she wasn't going to be here when I got home. That's it? Pretty much. The voicemail was really hard to hear. She left you a voicemail. Anna takes the sparkler off the floor and lights it. Yeah. Anna sets the tree on fire with the sparkler, her gaze fixed on the melting tree. Mom! (laughs) Anna watches the tree. She lights another sparkler and drops it onto the Christmas tree. Mom! I ruined Christmas. Well, stop lighting things on fire and you won't be. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Anna takes out another sparkler. Then stop. When Mama gets... She's not coming home. On Christmas? She's, uh, relocating some of the pieces of our relationship. Which pieces? Hers, I guess. But you guys were fine this summer. Uh, we have never been fine. I've never even heard you fight. Well, you'd have to talk about things to fight about them. Why didn't you tell me? I thought you knew. I thought she meant she was going to tell you in person. Anna lights another sparkler and tosses it onto the tree. She goes to light another sparkler and Lennox takes the sparkler away. Anna pulls out another sparkler. Mom, hold on a second. She thought about leaving every day for two years. There was nothing I could do to say. I, I told her to go. She stood in the doorway with her bags and looked at me and I told her to leave. I'm the innkeeper. Anna throws another sparkler on the tree. No, you're not. 
You're Thomas Jefferson. Lennox puts her arm around Anna as they watch the tree melt. Blackout. End of play. So, in Independent Christmas was inspired by the song Watch the Walls Melt, as performed by Matasiyaku, and here's a little uh, snippet of that. talk a little bit about the play and what inspired it and what the process was like developing it and where it came from. Okay. As if you didn't know this was coming. I did. Speaking it's to just, the microphone. Uh, you just gotta hang on for the explanation. A little bit long. Um, so we select the songs randomly every year um, uh, from like a blank envelope and then we play it in, uh, in workshop or we play a clip of it in workshop, and I try really hard to go with whatever it is that pops into my head first. It's like another goal for myself, of just like whatever weird little thing is what pops in, and that's what I go with. So, we played it in workshop, <laughs> basically that clip, and it was like, whatever, and I was like, oh, gas masks. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then immediately following that, Right after that, I thought of the 4th of July. It was like a, a two-part song. <laughs> two things. Two things. Um, so I actually started writing the, the gas mask play, which I quickly realized was actually a very long play, which is now in development with Cry Havoc, but it wasn't right for the assignment because we only had four pages. So I was left with the 4th of July, which was the second Thing that I thought of. <laughs> and um, listened to that first clip of the song a bunch and got really frustrated as to why a song about Fourth of July wound up in the holiday play songs that he comes <laughs> from. But uh, then I listened to the whole thing. And later on, um, there's this great series of lines about um, just like drinking a glass of wine and looking up into the sky and like letting stuff wash over you. Um, and I was like, oh, that has to do with the 4th of July. Um, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but it made me think of, like, the moment where, uh, when you're growing up, whether it's, like, a teacher or a mentor or a parent or whoever, and you sort of idolized in a way that you made slightly less human and more hero-like of that moment where you really watched them and realize that they're just a person too. Um, so those were the pieces that I had. And I had just written a play where Anna um, and her uh, girlfriend at the time, Jenny, the other mother in this play, um, were fighting about whether or not they should get married. Um, and the solution to that is a little bit weird and crazy too. But I was thinking about which 
characters could believably combine the holidays, and Anna had come to mind. So <laughs> sort of about shoving all of the weird pieces and weird layers that this song brought up together, and this is what happened then. <laughs> <laughs> holiday play uh, is Crimson and Closure uh, by Will Clark. That's, love it. Inspired by the song Watching the Wheels as performed by John Lennon. It's featuring the characters Finn and Sawyer from Southern Cross by Timothy Davis. Uh, Reading Finn is going to be Chris Comfort. Reading Sawyer is going to be Will Clark. Allison is going to do stage directions again. All right, sorry. That's all right. Uh, now, uh, Tim's play, Southern Cross, premiered at Cry Havoc at our old space in 2010. It was our moving in place. It was part of the first series of uh, open workshops that we did. Uh, and. Uh, Chris, Will, and Allison were all in the original cast, so they were reprising their roles. To some degree. To some degree. Allison Lights rise on a modest living room in a modest home in rural Alabama. The decor comprised of a hodgepodge of worn furniture that spans the stylistic leanings of several decades and shelves littered with picture frames and tchotchkes give the sense that generations of the same family have lived in this house. Yet tonight, there's a certain odd organization to it all. Every doodad looks meticulously placed. A crocheted Afghan blanket has been folded neatly over the back of the couch. Everything looks as perfect as is possible for this Huffle. The only thing that is out of place is Finn, who sits in a patched up recliner adjacent to a vacant wheelchair, sipping a beer while watching football. A faint buzzing sound can be heard from the next room. As the television reception crackles, Dang thing! Finn reaches tryingly for a baseball bat that rests against the arm of the couch. When he finally reaches it, he pokes at the rabbit ears antennas with it, trying to fix the reception. Suddenly, the door to the living room bursts open, and a Christmas tree wrapped in plastic netting and twine collapses through the door. Son of a... Sawyer enters after the tree. He struggles to pick it up seeing as one of his hands is a prosthetic and the other hand, his good hand, is a hook. This proves to be a difficult task. He attempts to wrap the hook in the twine to hoist the tree up. What the hell is that? What the hell does it look like, you idiot? Looks like a damn mess, if you ask me. Thought you said you wanted to keep this place clean. Then you go dumping all these pine needles all over the floor, call me an idiot. Hey, help me with this damn set. I gotta keep watching the game. It keeps cutting out. Help you? Why don't you get up off your fat ass and help me get this over the window? Maybe cause my legs don't work, jackass. Well, that's what them wheels are for. <laughs> Fix the TV first. It's almost half time. God damn it, Finn. You said... Sawyer so stops short and listens. That the oven? That what that is? Yeah. You son of a... Sawyer, panicked, starts toward the kitchen. His hook, now tangled in plastic, drags the tree with him. <laughs> he steps on the tree and tears his hook away before racing out of the room. Finn continues to poke at the antennas. Sawyer re-enters in the kitchen doorway. I said, shut it down when the buzzer went. What the hell is your problem? I never said nothing. You said you'd help. I ain't messed up a damn thing. You're drunk too, ain't you? I've had a couple, I'm fine. 
you're the one who's getting all worked up in a tizzy. You get your ass out of that chair and into the other one and help me move this tree right now, damn it. I ain't gonna let you order me around. You help, you want help? Fix the TV so I can watch it end of the half. We don't have time for this, Finn. There's less than a minute left. What's gonna happen in a minute? Sawyer crosses to the TV and starts shifting the antennas with his hook. You got one minute. Pull that one on the left a little more. Uh, that's getting better. No, my left. How's that? That's good. Sawyer steps away and the reception crackles. Wait, wait, no, no. Get that hook back in there. I think that's what's helping. Damn it, Finn. Wait, wait. Ah, flag. Oh, for Pete's sake. I don't have time for this. Sawyer stalks back toward the tree and resumes trying to pick it up. What happened to my minute? Your minute is up. In fact, you don't even deserve a minute in the first place. You asked me to do a few... I ask you to do a few small favors. Turn the oven off when the buzzer goes. Pull out the ornaments. Don't mess the place up. But what do you do? You just sit around as usual, letting dinner burn, watching your damn football, and piling up beer cans. I'm trying to make this a nice Christmas for you, and you're making it a miserable one for me. Oh, for me, huh? That's what this is for. Yep. Now that's the biggest load of crap I've heard all year. What was that supposed to mean? If this is about making things nice for me, you let me watch the damn Bama game like I do every year. I'm just trying to make the house look nice like Mom did to make things, I don't know, feel normal. Uh, things ain't been normal in years. All right? It, it, hmm. We ain't had a tree in years, Sawyer. And the place never looked like a damn hotel, all shiny and like this, well... It's time to change that. It's only time to change that because you're having your fancy friends over so you can play kiss ass and they can feel all good about themselves. Well, I don't want their damn pity. And I'm sick of you making me this out to be for my benefit. I don't want yours either. What do you want, Finn? You wanna watch football? Fine. Let's watch football. Sawyer sits on the couch. They both stare at the TV. A whistle blows. It's halftime. <laughs> Look, I'm putting this tree up. And yes, my friends from work are coming over and there's nothing fancy about them. And maybe it will be a little different, but it's not gonna be nice, it's, but it's gonna be nice like it used to be. Now you can be part of it or not, but I'm done living like a hermit in this house. Sawyer stands up and starts dragging the tree to the corner, pressing it up to lean it against the wall. Finn watches him struggle a bit before the tree falls again. Oh, crap here. Finn hoists himself from the recliner into his chair and wheels over, helping Sawyer to steady the tree as they struggle together to put it on its stand. Finn wheels back toward the TV. The ornaments are on the kitchen counter. I didn't see him. Well, maybe the, the bomb that blew your hands off over in Afghanistan, Afghanistan screwed up your eyesight too. I put them there when I was checking the oven. Sawyer gets the box of ornaments out of the kitchen and opens them up. He pulls out a crimson-tied football helmet ornament, which dangles from his hook. What's the score of that game? Tied is up, 14-7. Well, what do you say we get this tree up before the half's over so we can both sit down and watch them roll and roll when it's got your guests? Not for a bit. We got time. Finn continues to stare at the TV. I'm sorry I snapped at you, all right? I just, I wanna make this nice, like Ma used to. 
She was always so good at making things feel all right this one time of year, no matter how messed up they were. I just wanted it to feel nice, like a nice, normal family Christmas. It's never going to be like that again, Sawyer. Yeah, I know. Doesn't mean we can't have a tree. Doesn't mean we can't try. All we've got left of this family is each other, Finn. Finn looks up at Sawyer. He starts to wheel his way toward the tree. We got ten minutes till the second half. Let's get rolling. They decorate the tree. Blackout. End of play. <laughs> so that was inspired by the song Watching the Wheels by John Lennon. you, it's going to be sad family Christmas. Sad family Christmas when Sam got dumped. 
I'm not going to cozy up in your childhood bed. I'm not going to just leave you in this parking lot. Perfect end to the perfect trip. We can do this. We can, we can talk tomorrow. I'm not the one you wish you were bringing home. That's not true, Virginia. You know it. Virginia walks over to the trunk. Open it. No. Virginia walks from the trunk to the back seat door and opens it. She rummages through a shopping bag in the back seat. She starts pulling out gifts and laying them on the roof of the car. What are you doing? These are for your family. Return them. I can't. They're personalized. They're personal. Then come give them to them. I got gifts for your family. I'm not taking them back. Virginia sets the half-empty bag on the ground and chucks the gifts into the back seat. She leans across to the front passenger seat and grabs her purse, then gets out of the car. Sam takes hold of the purse to stop her. Really? Sam lets go. She reaches into the purse and pulls out a flash drive. She offers it to him. What's that? I made you a mix. <laughs> Virginia. I spent two months putting that together. It was your Christmas gift. She holds it out. <laughs> I just tried to make you something personal instead of getting you something you actually wanted or needed. <laughs> since I have no idea what you want or need, especially since you won't tell me. Not everyone can give perfect gifts like you. I'm sure it's not as super romantic and special as what you got me, but I made it. He takes it. He looks sick. She turns abruptly and opens the driver's side, popping the trunk. She brushes past him. I bought you a soda stream. Ginny, <laughs> <laughs> I got you all kinds of stupid presents. I don't want you to see them. I, I, I don't want those to be the last things you get from me. You got me terrible presents. Not on purpose. <laughs> I hadn't come up with the thing yet, so I just panicked and went to the mall. You ran out of time to get your girlfriend of two and a half years a good present. Did you not know that Christmas was coming this year? <laughs> I... It's just like that now. You are not with me like you were, Sam. I try to get closer and you get further away. That is not how we were. You used to know just what I needed, better than I did. Always wanting to know more and more, every little thing, and now... Virginia slams the trunk shut. <laughs> you get me a soda stream. <laughs> I saw the letters to her in your drafts folder. He looks at her, stunned. You hacked my email. No, I saw them. You... You left your email open. I did not. I know. You're a spy. CIA. Super encrypted everything. You left it open. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't send any of them. But there were so many, Sam. Just pouring out of you. And I'm right beside you, asking you to tell me your... What? Anything. Everything. Like you made me tell you everything, even though, even, I, I, like you made me tell you everything I thought from the day we met. Again and again, things I'd already told you a dozen times. Sometimes I couldn't breathe with how much you wanted to know me. 
I thought for sure you'd burn out and get sick of me once you learned all my secrets. But you didn't. And when I was trying, when I needed to get as close to you, you were talking to some other girl. I never sent that. You trust her with everything I wanted. While I'm right there, trying to be patient. <laughs> I always hated girls who snoop. I left it open because I trust you. Trusted you. me not to read them. I want you to trust me enough to tell me what you told her. I didn't send Why them. Why didn't you send them? They just bounce. But she was NSA before she was CIA. I thought she might get curious and come back to look and then she'd see him. She really broke you. Hope you broke her too. She's a ghost. But I'm real. She reaches for her bags, but he takes her hand, lacing his fingers through hers. He pulls her close. Please stay. You threw out my apology, Muffin. <laughs> What? <laughs> <laughs> Last night, I waited in line for 26 minutes, and when I got to the front, there was only one double chocolate chip muffin left. I gave it to you. You put it in your bag, and then you threw it in the trash. It was a muffin. You were supposed to split it with me and ask me to rank my seven favorite muffins. That's what you would have done once. She pulls back, but his grip doesn't give her room to get far. I'm sorry. She leans back in and kisses him. Merry Christmas. Go home. She turns away, but he is still holding her hand. Merry Christmas. He lets her go. She gathers her bags and walks back to the rest stop. End of play. <laughs> Leah, who's the spy in that play, and 
other holiday plays have featured Leah, and like then people have been like it's had several generations. But I thought Sam from that play hadn't really gone on to anything, so I thought of him, <laughs> and then I I made Virginia to get rid of Sam. Um, front and there was like other lyrics about putting a letter in a bottle every day and hoping it gets out to somebody, you know, and it's just like your hopes for things and how they don't come to fruition. So it was like all those things together, I thought, what if you broke up on Christmas Day? It's this high, high expectation day and it's when things should be perfect, but they often aren't. And so like what happens if they actually did it on that day and it featured these people who had this background, but they're just people who break up. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, next up, we have Xmas by Caitlin Wilcox, inspired by the song Watching Movies is performed by Matt Miller, featuring the character Susan from her play The Magic of Macy's, uh, read by Annalisa Chamberlain and Lights up on the interior of a trendy lingerie store. It is New Year's Eve and the racks and mannequins display holiday-themed merchandise for an after-Christmas sale. Holly, a young sales associate who is rather well-endowed, is organizing <laughs> and straightening items. After a moment, another young woman, Susan, enters. She takes a deep breath, then charges up to Holly. Are you proud of yourself? Sorry, what? Uh, um, can I help you with something? Seriously? A beat as slowly it dawns on Susan. Uh, you don't know who I am, do you? <laughs> no, sorry. God, I didn't think this could get any more humiliating. Susan starts to exit. Okay, well, thanks for stopping in. Have a happy new year. Susan stops dead. She turns to Holly. What did you say? Nothing, just happy new year. Bye. You know what? I think I'll take a look around since I'm here. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll be over here if you need anything. All the holiday merchandise is 60% off. <laughs> Susan starts browsing the racks distractedly, but mostly watching Holly. Holly pretends not to notice. Got any big plans for the countdown tonight? Um, not really. Probably do a little party hopping. You? I had some plans, but they fell through. <laughs> a beat. Susan holds up some ridiculous getup, a sexy reindeer outfit or something. Do people actually wear this stuff? <laughs> You'd be surprised. I guess I'm just more used to the stuff at my store. Oh, are you a designer? No. No, the store where I work. It's just a little more classy. <laughs> where, do you, where do you work? Macy's. <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess the crowd we're targeting is a little more on trend. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the trend? For some people. Would you wear it? 
Sure, why not? It's fun. You know, look, this, all this holiday stuff is a little bit of an acquired taste, you know? It sure is. Holly. <laughs> Holly looks down at her name tag, a beat. Holly smiles sweetly at Susan. Yeah, I guess not everybody can pull it off. <laughs> you know what? I think I'll try it on. <laughs> Great. What size are you? 34B. 34D? No, B, like boy. <laughs> like boy. A beat. Susan is clearly embarrassed. I'll go check in the back. Holly heads for the stockroom. Forget it. I'm not wearing this slutty crap. Susan slams the sexy reindeer get-up back on the rack. Whoa, <laughs> look, no one's forcing you to. You are forcing me to. Me? You and every other woman who does agree to wear this stuff, who I have to compete with. It's not a competition. Easy for you to say, you won. <laughs> you know what? I think you should go browse the unmentionables counter at Macy's with your grandma and leave me alone. When I was the first girl in my class to need a bra, no one was handing me a blue ribbon. They were too busy drawing tits on my locker. And now you work here, where you delude women into spending ridiculous amounts of money in the name of female empowerment and owning your sexuality, when it's really just some desperate attempt to keep a guy interested. Or an excuse to skank it up and steal some unsuspecting chick's boyfriend. Some women like putting in a little effort to keep their guy interested. You want to talk about effort? He was a mess when I met him. And I don't just mean dirty dishes and month-old laundry. I mean, he was a mess. I took care of him. He cut back on the drinking and the pot. The sober nights actually started to outnumber the blacked-out ones. Hell, he even started to eat vegetables once in a while. I took care of him. Congratulations. And what do I get for it? The morning I go to pick him up to meet my parents at Christmas dinner, he's passed out with lipstick all over his face and a bedazzled thong in his fist. Well, maybe he needed to get laid more than he needed a mommy. He needs me. No, he doesn't. Look, I'm sorry to break it to you, but when people cheat, it means things aren't working. It's an ugly way to say it, but it's pretty damn effective. So I should just walk away. Sorry to have wasted your time. I hope you two are very happy together. It's better than tracking her down on Facebook and harassing her at her job in the name of feminism, Susan. What do you, like, get off on humiliating people or something? No, you did a pretty good job with that yourself. I tried to give you an out. Thanks for stopping in. Have a happy new year. You're the one who decided to stick around and be the world's most pathetic ex-girlfriend. I've been dealing with girls like you since the seventh grade. You were jealous little teenagers who turned into jealous little adults. So I'm so over it. <sighs> oh, really? If you knew who I was, then I'm clearly not the one who did some Facebook stalking. Please, I saw your picture on his dresser. Gross! Wait, you saw my picture? Before or after? Holly does not respond. So before, 
You're unbelievable. You don't even feel bad about it. What do I have to feel bad about? He's the one who cheated. He's, he's responsible for his own actions. I was just out having fun. On Christmas Eve, you got drunk and went home with a stranger on Christmas Eve, and I'm the pathetic one. Your boyfriend cheated on you the night before he was supposed to meet your parents. He was not the one. It's better you find that out now rather than a year down the road. Trust me, you said yourself he was a mess. You should be thanking me. Thank you so much for assisting in his epic fall off the wagon. Nobody's heard from him in days. He might have been a mess, but he was my mess, and he was getting better. You know, tonight was going to be the first New Year's Eve in my life that I actually had someone to kiss at midnight. Not some desperate rando at a party, but an actual someone. Well, then I guess we'll be in the same boat. You mean, you haven't heard from him either? Sorry to bust your brat and Angelina rage fantasy, but come on. We hooked up at a bar. It wasn't exactly love at first sight. <laughs> it's not my fault his dumbass friends decide to plaster the photographic evidence all over the internet. You, th you thought you were just so irresistible with your, and your, <laughs> Look at what it got you. You'll be just as pathetic as me tonight. Is there anything else I can help you with? Susan starts to exit. She stops at the door but doesn't turn around. Who's going to take care of him? He can go take care of himself. A beat. Susan exits without looking back at Holly. Lights fade. End of play. So Xmas was inspired by the song Watching Movies. <laughs> Two 
Hello, this is Jennifer Reichert, a Cry Havoc resident playwright and the producer of the Cry Havoc podcast. While our live audience takes a break for holiday cookies and beverages, I wanted to let you know that all of these very short holiday plays, plus seven others by Cry Havoc playwrights, are included when you gift a square foot of Cry Havoc's rehearsal and performance space to yourself or a theater lover in your life. Go to www.cryhavoccompany.org gift to gift a piece of Cry Havoc this holiday season. Copies of the holiday plays will continue to be available at this address even after the holiday season is ended. In addition to gifting a square foot, you also have the option to gift support for one of Cry Havoc's programs, including sponsoring the development of a one-act play, the training of a Cry Havoc summer apprentice, or the production of a future episode of the Cry Havoc podcast. Now, we will rejoin the event with Believin, a very short holiday play by Sharon E. Cooper. So, up next, we have Believin uh, by Sharon Cooper, inspired by the song Watching You and performed by Rodney Atkins, featuring the character Stephanie from her play Occupy. And this will be featuring Caitlin Wilcox, Brian Coffey, and Jenny Kerr. An upper middle class home somewhere in suburban America, New Year's <laughs> Eve, way after midnight. Selena, late 40s, dressed elegantly in a silk pantsuit, finishes a glass of wine and walks across a beautifully furnished living room away from Rothschild, early 50s. Neither of them sees Stephanie, late 30s, sitting in a chair in the corner of the room. Stephanie dips a carrot and watches them like she's watching a movie. Rothschild follows Selena across the room. I almost fell into the toilet. I could have ruined my dress, you know. Everyone's gone. You could have changed. Should I put on a wetsuit in my own home, just in case? It's not a bathtub. It's the size of a toilet. It is a toilet! Exactly! Exactly! <laughs> and how did you know it was me? There are a lot of men here tonight. But only one is always here. Only one, for sure, always leaves the toilet seat up. <laughs> I'm gonna go help in the kitchen. Help whom? No one is in the kitchen! Exactly! And I already cleaned up the kitchen! You're welcome! She waits. From the other room, silence. Stephanie emerges out of the shadows. Ebola. <laughs> oh, God. Sorry, that, that, I... That's just what I was, I was just thinking about right now. I think... I think that's going to be the end of all of us. Bola, I love this dip. It's a great party. Selena takes a good look at Stephanie and so so it's getting late, so late. And it's so hard at these parties that you don't get to talk to everyone. And I'm so glad you waited till everyone left so we wouldn't be interrupted because I'd like to talk to you and Rothschild about... Rothschild? Rothschild! <laughs> Rothschild enters, his arms...
arms folded. He doesn't see Stephanie. Yeah, there'd be no point in my doing the dishes because you're always correcting me. Whether it's... Do you remember, uh... Uh... Oh! Um... Now that we're all here together, finally... Who are you? Oh, I feel the same way, Rothschild. Like, who are we? <laughs> Why are we here? What are we meant to... No, I meant it more literally. Oh, Stephanie. Uh, I sometimes go by Strophany, but recently, just Stephanie. <laughs> here. Stephanie hands Selena Estella's shoes back. How thoughtful. What a nice... What is it? Raymond. He... He died. Selena drops the bag. <laughs> Stephanie lunges, grabs the bag, and takes out an urn and cradles it. This isn't funny. No, it's not. Bringing an urn to a New Year's Eve party? It's a little funny. Because you're the expert on morning etiquette. I was trying. Maybe next year, Strophany will get lucky and you'll throw her a party on... Strophany is not my wife. Maybe you should have asked your wife if she'd like to host a hundred people on the first anniversary of her father's death. You said you wanted a distraction. A distraction is a massage or getting a pedicure, not filling everyone's wine glass while you sit in the other room all night watching television. How could I be watching television in one room and plotting against you? AKA the toilet seat lifter, all at the same time. Uh, my name's actually just Stephanie. It's it's not strong. I just I just said that because of Phil. Who's Phil? Phil was this guy that I don't <laughs> I don't care about at all. <laughs> After we broke up three months ago, I moved five hundred miles away so he wouldn't have to be upset if he ever ran into me in our bedroom or at Rufus's grave or whatever or at the Jewish uh, synagogue for the Hebrews <laughs> I converted for him it's fine. I, I wasn't too keen on the whole cross thing anyway so <laughs> I, uh, I wish you two would just stop arguing about toilets and televisions and start acting like uh, picking up a picture from the mantle these people in your getting married outfits because I'm not leaving until we give Raymond a proper funeral boom uh. <laughs> Perhaps you'd like the name of the folks we used. Rothschild, everyone mourns differently. You can't blame her for... For having a surprise funeral in my house for some looney tune I don't even know? Uh, Ra Raymond loved Echo and Lovely like his brothers. I have the holiday card uh, of you and you and Echo and Lovely on the fridge, so I'm, I'm someone who knows you. Or, or at least I thought... The I did. dog walker! Oh. You're the dog walker! Raymond is a dog. Raymond, it was a cat. Um, <laughs> and do you realize how lucky you were that I brought him over here to build bridges and get across animal lines? Raymond <laughs> and Echo and Lovely would run around this very room, chasing each other's tails, chasing their own tails, and I would look at these... Nice pictures of these nice people skiing and surfing and laughing and wearing matching red sweaters with their dogs. And it was, it was worth it. It was worth it even though I had to bring my own baggies. <laughs> even though I only make $15 an hour, not even $18 an hour, which is 
a lucky number for the people of Moses, and more of a <laughs> have a living wage. And even when I work for a Rothschild, my name is Rothschild. Oh, I'm not a Rothschild. Uh, tomato, tomato. Uh, come on, people, please, please start acting like the happy people with the happy dogs. Those pictures were from a long time ago. It's because I leave the toilet seat up. Because you leave me to take care of everything. Maybe I should just cancel the funeral. I'll take Raymond home and mourn him in my small three-room house, <laughs> just a few blocks away from your McMansion. Or maybe I'll just see if I can get some people to like my funeral on Facebook. Oh, for heaven's sake. <laughs> for heaven's sake, we could, you know, say a prayer. I mean, if you want. <laughs> if it would give you closure. <laughs> Let us pray. Wait! Uh, don't, you, don't you think you should get Echo and Lovely? They're not that religious. Oh. <laughs> and they're at my cousin's. Rothschild wanted the house to be dog-free. For our allergic friends. Right, but then I had to drive them to my cousins. I don't have cousins nearby. But you do drive, right? I was working. I had to take off work to bring them over and get back in time to host a party on the anniversary of my father's death. Well, I guess we should go ahead and get started before Raymond's been dead too long. <laughs> One of you should start. <laughs> Selena nudges Rothschild to speak. <laughs> Raymond was like a dog walker in law to me. And in-laws matter. When they die, it's a loss to you too, you know. Amen. <laughs> Maybe Raymond just wanted to be with Strophany, like it used to be in the beginning, when they would sit in a car with a bottle of cheap wine and look at the stars. No, we never did that. <laughs> Maybe he didn't always show it, but I think Raymond was lucky to have Echo and Lovely all of those years. Months? Three, three months. And thank you both. That was really, really touching. <laughs> well, you're like family, and we're happy to refer you to other families in the next town. Or we'll pay her $18 instead of $15 and include a holiday bonus. Yes. Yes, of course, if that's what you want. Well, I am, except <laughs> Raymond would appreciate it. Raymond was Zoroastrian. What? <laughs> but I never learned what that meant. And he would want me to say a prayer in my own faith tradition, just as you did. He was a universalist in that way. <laughs> Raymond into your fold. <laughs> fold him into the floating clouds. He was a model to us all. 
He never got Botox, even though his face sagged just a little bit. <laughs> Let him enjoy being with Rufus. Phil's dog, that bastard. Phil! <laughs> Not the dog, whom he shared so many great memories. We hope Phil burns in hell, even though he doesn't believe in hell, and now I don't either, since I am now an Israelite, just like him. <laughs> I hope that Echo and Lovely won't join Raymond for a long, long time in heaven. But if you see it fit to kill Phil, <laughs> I think everyone would understand. <laughs> Rothschild and Selena look at each other. Maybe she's done? And Raymond. I won't change my email address, I promise. I'll always be Raymond at me at yahoo.com, and I'll use your name as a password even if it leaves a big empty hole inside me every time I order mascara online. <laughs> Maybe I won't even wear makeup anymore. You taught me that. I should just be me and accept me in my face just as I am, which gets harder when everyone at New Year's Eve looks like the same person because they've all had Botox. <laughs> Sometimes you live. Sometimes you love. Sometimes you get to have both. I will miss you, Raymond. I thought I, thought I would have at least been divorced by now. <laughs> Stephanie picks up a picture from Rothschild and Selena's wedding day. That was your dad. Yeah. He was about to walk me down the aisle and I leaned over and said, I think I'm making a good decision. And he said, a great decision. And then I walked down the aisle and vowed to be with Rothschild for better or worse. I'd like to make a new vow on the anniversary of my father-in-law's death. Since I haven't put the toilet seat down consistently for 15 years, for the next 15, I will. After that, we can negotiate. <laughs> and I won't complain about how you do the dishes. Just rinse them before you put them in the dishwasher. <laughs> You can ask more questions about what I really want. And I want to know more about what my dad meant to you. Like, I want details. How could you not know that? I don't know. Sounds like a great conversation over a New Year's Day brunch. He puts his arms around her. She lets him. I'm just a small town girl. <laughs> <laughs> Next year, 
just you and me. <laughs> and maybe Echo and Lovely. And she looks hmm. over at Stephanie. We'll see. <laughs> sure. Are you all gonna sing or okay? <laughs> Don't stop believing. <laughs> Hold on to that feeling. Street lights, people. Don't stop believing plays as they toast to Raymond and to life as the lights fade. End of play. taking off from a nearby airport. Lights up on a muddy, frost-bitten porch clinging to the backside of a sullen old house. A couple of brown flower pots full of clumps of dead weeds sit in each corner of the porch and on one side sit two faded plastic deck chairs. 
A strand of icy blue Christmas lights strung along the railing seems to glower rather than glow. Sabrina, 29, sits in a chair, gazing out across the backyard, watching the departing airplanes fly away. She clutches an open bottle of 10-year-old Laphroaig. She is bundled up in an old blanket, a heavy coat, over red flannel pajamas and snowman slippers. She squints and peers across the yard in the direction of the airport at the deep humming of an airplane taking off. She raises the bottle in the air and shouts, That a boy! Merry Christmas, you miserable waste of space! She takes a swig of scotch and closes her eyes, breathing deeply, and swishes the liquid in her mouth, then spits it out into the flower pot. Another airplane ascends. Nothing to it! Nothing to it! And here's another. She takes another generous swig and spits it out into the flower pot. She starts to sing to herself softly. Have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. Leave your wives and close your eyes and pretend you weren't here. She rises to her feet, holding up the bottle like Lady Liberty's torch as another airplane sears away through the deepening fog. It's a holly, holly Christmas! Hope you crash into a mountain. There you go, oops, down you go, and have a cup of cheer. She drinks again from the bottle and spits. She leans against the railing and sighs. Man, this whole city is leaving. Well, good then, go. Who needs you? No one. (laughs) Nobody cares anymore. We should all leave. We should all, we should all just. She is interrupted by the sound of a car door closing out front and footsteps on the driveway. Breen? Sabrina starts and whips around, clutching the scotch tightly. What? She looks down at the bottle in her hand, quickly places it under the chair, and tosses the blanket over the chair, spinning back around just in time to face Weston, 31, coming around the corner of the house in coat and hat, carrying a sleek briefcase and a large gym bag. They eye each other carefully. Hi. I'm home. I heard someone shouting uh, back here. Uh, Why are you out here so late? I can sit in my own backyard anytime I want. And you're not here. Yes. (laughs) Uh, in, In fact, I'm standing right here. No, you're not. You're already miles away. Don't look at me like I'm crazy. I've hardly seen you in two weeks. I'm starting to think maybe you're like gone and I just haven't realized it yet. You must be an apparition faxed over on a beanie thing from my real husband. Oh, oh my God. All right, here we go. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not. This is, oh, okay. Can you just calm down a second? Don't tell me to calm down. You know what? I. You're actually stupid. Is that it? Because not much else can explain this morning. What do you want from me? God damn it, Sabrina. All right, we we knew when I accepted this assignment there were going to be long hours, all right? I didn't have time this morning, okay? Why did you storm out of the house this morning? Why did I? Really? You? Oh, okay. You smashed the coffee pot into the wall. 
That's not why you left. Yes. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. You were already putting on your coat to leave. I had to get to work. No. You didn't have to. Don't talk to me about long hours. This is not what we talked about. Leaving before I'm awake to go to work, staying out until you think I'm asleep. You hit a record tonight. It's nearly dawn. This is not the job. This is you. I got up at 5.30 this morning, thinking it would be nice to make you breakfast and maybe try to talk a little, and all you have to say is, this coffee tastes burned. And then you try to shimmy out the door. Oh, and by the way, I make excellent coffee when I'm not dashing off to shove my face down the toilet. Maybe you've noticed I've been doing that a lot. Maybe you could have turned off the coffee before it burned if you weren't so busy trying to tiptoe away from your big, scary, pregnant wife. I shouldn't have complained. Didn't even matter. I, I just, I just needed to leave. What is this, Wes? What's going on? Hello? I'm your wife. Talk to me. I'm your wife and I'm pregnant and you're silent. What's the matter with you? I don't know. Everything, all right? Everything is the matter with me. I, I, that's what's the matter, all right? I know, I, I can't seem to do anything right, and you point that out constantly, you remind me of that. I'm so tense around you, I, I get tongue-tied, and I'm working, yes, I am working all the time. I'm working because I don't know what else to do. I can't even comprehend the thought of me being a dad. When you told me, I, it is so completely, just by surprise it caught me, I, I honestly, I had no clue how to react. <laughs> I only felt this sort of like choking terror <laughs> climbing up my throat and you know, you needed me to have a reaction. Happiness, I think, I'm guessing. And, and I, I didn't feel that. And I still don't. I'm letting you down and I can't do anything about it because I can't help that this feels so <clears throat> horrifying to me. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't know if I'll be any good. <laughs> I'm, mm, I am freaking out. <laughs> and that's all. <clears throat> no, that's. I know that's not enough. <laughs> oh my God, Wes. That's what you're... Wes, you're supposed to freak out, honey. You don't have to do this right. There's no right way. Of course you're gonna be good at this. I never doubted that for a second, well, until lately. But that's because this isn't like you. I mean, things haven't been great lately, you're right, but I had no idea that it was affecting you like this. That I was affecting you like this. I'm sorry, I've just been missing you. I don't know what I'm doing either. I just, I can't wake up anymore wondering if you're gonna come back or not. 
I need you. Of course, I'm going back. I... Where do you think I'd go? Maybe on one of those airplanes taking off full of people leaving for Florida? Or St. Bart's or somewhere sunny and nice and far away from this? Me? Weston gets down on one knee, unzips his duffel bag, and pulls out a medium-sized box wrapped in glossy paper and a bright red ribbon. That would have been a much better idea than waiting in line at closing time for this. But I thought I'd better get this right. You know, at least. Open it. We are going to need it before Christmas. I promise. What? Oh my god, at last! Oh my god, this is perfect! <laughs> yeah, you can't burn coffee in that thing, even <gasps> if you try. Ha <gasps> ha. <laughs> oh, I have something for you too. Except it's not new anymore. She retrieves the scotch from under the chair. This was actually going to be a present. <laughs> but then I was feeling very nasty earlier when you were still not home after midnight. I've been toasting the airplanes because I thought you might be on one of them and it made me want to drink your present out of spite because I'm insane. But I didn't actually drink it, I promise. I spit it out every time. <sighs> the plants are dead anyway. Oh, crap. Here, this is for you. Uh, what? Okay, uh, thank you. I didn't even know you knew the one that I liked. Hey. I'm not getting on that airplane. Alright? I wouldn't do that. Even for not being myself lately, I wouldn't do that. I know. I just... just wanted to make you say it, I guess. I'm still kind of mad. Okay. Me too! But it's okay. You know? And I'm sorry. Okay. Me too. Weston crosses to the chair and wraps the blanket around her tightly like a cocoon. He looks out at the sky as the sound of an airplane hums a little way off. Where's that one going, do you think? Maybe uh, the Cayman Islands. I think that one's getting closer, actually. It's getting closer. Ah, you're right. It's coming home. Weston puts his arm around Sabrina and salutes the incoming airplane with his bottle of scotch. Well, merry early Christmas. He takes a sip of scotch and offers a sip to Sabrina. You? Sabrina nods and Weston puts the bottle to her lips and tips it for her to take a sip. She sips, swishes, spits into the flower pot. He looks at her and they smile. Another airplane hums its way down from the sky and they take turns sipping the scotch as lights fade to black. End of play. <laughs> Yeah.
Melissa actually knew that we were going to ask her about the play beforehand <laughs> and send me her remarks in advance, and they're breathtaking. Exchange of I'm in this relationship with you, 
like maybe I'll, I'll do a little and compromise a little on, on this. So that was Sydney Painter. It's inspired by the song Keep Me Watching as performed by Jason Walker. It features the character Andy from the play The Ditch Pigs by Emily Schmidt. And uh, features Will and myself. Hey, hey. Yeah. Uh, one. We'll cut this part out later. It's in one. It's in volume one. <laughs> it's on page 19. <laughs> That one? I got it. That's one? Yep. Ben and Andy are waiting in line, their eyes on the prize. Andy has more success than Ben at maintaining a facade of coolness. Dude. <laughs> I know. Like, dude. No. I know. Like, dude, for real, though. Dude, you promised you'd be chill. I know, but now that it's happening... I know, I know, but you can't freak out, okay? Okay. You good? I'm good. You got your list? Right here. Okay. Now, remember, it's important to triage, because he might cut you off. This is a busy mall. It's, like, not even about the presence at this point. I know. It's just like, everything about him, man. He's a great man. <laughs> I cannot stop looking. Okay, it's okay to look. It, that lap looked so freaking cozy. Just settle yourself down, okay? My mom is watching. So? So I have asthma. She worries about hyperventilation. <laughs> I don't have asthma. She'll start asking if we have to go to the bathroom. Oh, <laughs> rough. I know, like I don't think of that. <laughs> I don't think of it usually. What the heck, Ben, you cannot say things like that. Okay. Just cool it, okay? Be cool. Okay. Okay. Can I go first? What? No. I... <laughs> I need to. I really need to. That's ridiculous. You are, like, actually speaking Chinese right now. Andy, I never asked you for anything. Um, yes, you have. You asked me to bring you here to this awesome suburban mall to have an audience with Santa himself, and I made it happen for you. My mom says guest pick first. Oh, does she? Yup. Your mom says that. Did I stutter? <laughs> Well, we aren't with your mom, are we? Uh, if we were with your mom, we'd be lighting candles or some other nonsense for a fakey holiday that's not even mentioned in the Old Testament, Whoa, dressed up to look like Gibson. a present-giving occasion. <laughs> so they could take the same days off work 
and their kids wouldn't feel left out of this totally awesome party that Jesus throws Dude, every year. I would not invoke Jesus right now. You wanted Christmas. You wanted a tree and reindeer and Santa's cozy, reassuring lap. And I brought you here, even though you're kind of insulting your tribe? <laughs> Santa doesn't even have to do with Jesus. He's a Norse folktale or something that Christians appropriated. I brought you, and we're with my mom. And my mom says, I am a Christmas miracle. I was like eight months premature. That's why my lungs are like soggy in jail. And my birthday's next week, so who do you think she's going to let go first? How old are you? I'm three and three quarters, jerk sock. I just told you, my birthday's next week. Well, then that actually makes you three and 51, 50 seconds. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I do not think that there are that many fractions. And actually, my birthday was two months ago. So? What are you saying? I'm older. What? <laughs> Did you just say to me? I'm older than you. I'm older than you. You're lying. There were no cupcakes at Teacher Lori's. I never forget a cupcake. My birthday is the day before Halloween, so Teacher Lori said I had to bring orange wedges because we were about to have so much candy the next day, remember? Everyone was so sticky and you got in trouble for giving Harper a dreadlock. Oh, man, I do. I'm older than you, and I'm sitting on that lap before you. I will only ask for my top six presents. I will speak loudly and clearly so as to minimize the prompting of repetition, and I will gaze into that beard until it is so awkward an elf lifts me down, even though I am perfectly capable of sliding on my own, and she will set me so gently on my feet that my sneakers don't even flash, and then you can have your turn. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> okay then. I didn't know you were older. Yeah. I don't like that. I don't like to have to use it. <laughs> I didn't realize this meant this much to you. Well, I saw that Christmas episode of Lego Ninjago, and the imagery just caught in my mind. You know. Oh man, yeah, I saw that. That was powerful. <laughs> I just want to be part of the Christmas magic. That's beautiful, man. Thank you. You're up. Ben leaves the scene. End of play. <laughs> so, uh, on the edge of what might happen, inspired by the song Keep Me Watching as performed by Jason Walker. Sydney's brilliant place, 
some things might just be better left unsaid. <laughs> so we accept the following applause on her behalf. <laughs> uh, we got one, one more to go, and as we're setting up for the last play of the evening, which is not necessarily the end of tonight's festivities, but will be the end of this part of the night's festivities, uh, we want to talk a little bit about the entire collection and get to square foot and what it means. Um, so you've, what you've heard tonight are a selection of plays from now our fifth annual collection of very short holiday plays from Cry Havoc. Come on and set up while we're doing this, yeah. Um, and uh, if you would like to uh, read the rest of them, uh, it is possible to acquire set collections, or two volumes, uh, including the plays you heard tonight, as well as plays by Julia Bilbao, Ann Flowers, Kate Heaney, Cindy Kaye, Kit Lavoy, Becky Rigg, and Emily Claire Schmidt. And what you can do is uh, go to cryhabitcompany.org slash gift, uh, which uh, with your gift of a square foot of space for the coming year will allow us to develop more plays upon which we will base future holiday plays and also other things happen to them as well. Um, also, before we do have fudge for everybody before you go, the charming uh, assortment of uh, little silver boxes over there. Uh, is there anything else really we need to mention about the uh, gift to square foot? You guys know the drill. We have a star tonight. We also have some available. We also have some available oh, for purchase tonight. tonight. Right. If you want so, point of purchase. Great. Um, so the next play is our annual pigeon. Uh, here, I'll go again. Sure. You got more. Um, is uh, uh, Ugly Donkly. Donkly Donkly Donkly. Two. Uh, uh, it's Ugly Donkey and the Trash Put Flamingo. A very short holiday screenplay by Jenny Curlin and Kit LaVoy, inspired by the song Don't Watch Me Dancing as performed by Little Joy, featuring the characters Plume and Dubby from their animated screenplay, Pigeons. Featuring Brian Coffey, Will Clark, Caitlin Wilcox, Annalise Chamberlain, Ali Keller, and Flowers. Ugly Doggy in a Trash Foot Flamingo. Fade up on exterior, Rockefeller Center, early evening. The Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. A gentle snow falls as tourists mill and point. A narrator's warm voice intones. December in New York City. We rise up past the towering tree to a Rockefeller Center window with a bustling holiday party. Groups of men and women laugh and clap each other on the back in an evergreen festooned room as they toast each other with eggnog. A time to gather with friends. We continue up to another window as a gaggle of workers listen with plastered-on smiles as a big boss drones on at the front of an office party. With co-workers. We pivot to a neighboring building and keep rising. Inside one of the windows, a multi-generational group of adults sits eating ham and turkey in sweaters in the dining room while young ones fling mashed potatoes at each other at the kids' table nearby. With family. We arrive at the roof of the building, perched atop a frozen-over bird bath an array of pigeons bob their heads back and forth and peck from tastefully arranged piles of crumbs. A time to eat. 
we glide down to a throng of pigeons gathered around a pile of discarded bottles littering the outside of a dive bar. A few stray pigeons slurp eagerly at a nearby and a nearly full Bud Light. To drink. We float a couple of stories up on an adjacent building. A small group of pigeons sit perched on the railing of a tiny balcony. They get inside at a perfectly decorated Christmas tree and chirp out a cacophony of caroling. To be married. We swoop down towards a small park, past hustling shoppers, towards a group of unoccupied, snowed-over racquetball courts, and further towards a group of young pigeons gathered near the garbage can in the corner of the courts. In short, a time for... We land on Eve, a bright pink tween pigeon, gesticulating wildly to her gathered friends. Holiday Christmas dance party palooza! The group murmurs among themselves. They have never been to a dance party palooza. There will be crusts and ice cream and music and... Denny, a trim gray tween, breaks through the circle. Or we could just hang out on the corner and build forts out of the delivery boxes. <laughs> Friday's recycling day. Recycling day! Every Friday is recycling day. Uh, only this Friday is the Friday before Christmas. So we'll build Santa's house. <laughs> I'm gonna tell Mom. Suddenly, Denny opens his beak and lets out a loud belch. Everyone looks over and Denny smiles and bends into a low, sweeping bow. The group claps their wings together wildly. Eve glares at Denny, then turns her attention back to the group. <clears throat> there will be dancing. Eve begins a spirited bop. Several of their friends join in. Several others back almost imperceptibly away. Eve beckons for everyone to join. It's going to be so much fun. Denny looks from one dancing pigeon to the next and shakes his head. Dances are for nerds. <laughs> no one's going to go to your stupid dance, Eve. Denny starts bopping grotesquely side to side and warbling his head around mockingly, singing a Madonna song in a high-pitched girl voice. The rest of the pigeons stop dancing to watch him, delighted. Eve lunges at him and pushes him back onto the cement. Denny sits there speechless as the group looks down. Their laughter at his dancing turns into laughing at him. Maybe no one wants you to go. Everything of that. Even the others hop off away from Denny. Anyone who's anyone will be there. We, we should thank... Eve spots a shiny gum wrapper on the ground. Oh! She scoops it up and tucks it under She then proceeds to make a swooshing dance move to the side. Dance-a-paloo! She swooshes back and slips on a patch of black ice going beak over tail. Slam! From behind the group, Danny howls with laughter. This is all to interior lobby of the Museum of Natural History night. Denny sits on a giant skeletal foot, squealing with delight. He points and continues to squeal. Pull back to reveal, Denny is sitting on the toe of the giant Brachiosaurus skeleton in the front lobby of the American Museum of Natural History. Below him, Eve slips and slides as she tries to dance on the marble floor, her pink reflection wobbling beneath her. Her left leg is now lumpily bandaged in an awkward combination of band-aids, cotton balls, and a snapped-off popsicle stick. I think we've started this dance off on a bad foot. Stop! <laughs> you look like a trash foot flamingo. You're an ugly donkey! Only flamingos are more graceful. Why are you even talking? Eve continues to spin awkwardly across the floor. So were you planning to hand out blindfolds so anyone who's anyone won't see you dancing? They'll already <laughs> have them because they heard you're coming. Now scram! Danny looks up at the dinosaur bones towering over him. Your dancing scared them to death. 
Don't watch me dancing! Interior, the halls of the Museum of Natural History, continuous. The sound of Eve's shout echoes through the halls of the museum, past the herd of elephants, past the Neanderthals making fire, past the 63-foot great canoe, until it reaches the Birds of North America diorama. Interior, Birds of North America diorama, continuous. Blue, a plump pigeon, and Dubby, a beautiful multicolored exotic fruit dove, decorate the scrubby brush of the diorama with a strand of Christmas lights. They stop decorating as the sound of Eve's shout reaches them. They hang their heads. I'll get him. I'll get her. They fly off. The interior lobby of the Museum of Natural History. Moments later, Danny and Eve are now nose to nose on the marble floor. Maybe you were in such a peg leg, you little peg leg, you little fed. Peg. Always look like you've slept in somebody's trash. Plume and Dubby land between the sparring pink and gray squad. Hey, 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 you two, what's going on? She thinks she's so cool with all her friends, and she pushed me down in front of everybody. I Okay, okay, okay. Guys, <laughs> you, you can't keep doing this, Evie. You can't go around pushing your brother. And Denny, your sister hurt herself, and you shouldn't be making fun of her. But she... You shouldn't make fun of your sister. Whatever. Denny stops off. <laughs> Why do I care she can dance until her stupid leg falls off? And he's gone. Eve bursts into tears. Dummy shakes her head and stalks off in the direction Denny left. Evie. No, it's fine. He's right. Who cares about the stupid dance? You do. I, I don't care. I just wasted my time. Eve hops awkwardly to a display of museum maps. She opens a cabinet at the base of the display, revealing a giant pile of shiny silver paper, tin foil, gum wrappers, torn corners of wrapping paper, bits of mylar balloons, strands of tinsel. The pile glints beautifully. I was in charge of the stupid decorations. For the stupid dance, and the stupid eyes, and the stupid daddy just ruined everything. Eve begins hurling the glinting silver papers in every direction. Plume sighs as they rain down around him. Interior, the halls of the Museum of Natural History, night. Dubby stalks sternly through the halls, pivoting her head around, looking for Denny. Suddenly, she stops and perks to attention. Nearby, the sound of crying. Dubby follows the sound around a corner and finds Denny, curled up in the paw of a stuffed lion cub. He's crying quietly. Dubby crouches to him. What's the matter, Denny? Denny pulls himself together. Nothing. Denny. She's just ruining my life. She is not. Yeah, she is. Denny looks up at her, tears filling his eyes. I can't dance. Mama, they're all gonna make fun of me. It's okay, baby. They won't make fun of you. They will. I would. <laughs> <laughs> like you made fun of Eve? She deserved it. Everyone's gonna go into the dance. All my friends, and it's all because of her. You still shouldn't have made fun of her, Denny. She pushed me in front of everyone. And she shouldn't have done that. But you still should apologize to her. Well, she should apologize to me. She should. Fine. I'll <laughs> say sorry, but I'll tell her you said she had to say it first. <laughs> Danny marches off in the direction Dubby came. Dubby shakes her head, exasperated. Interior, elsewhere in the halls of the museum, night. 
Denny marches through the hall of Asian mammals toward the light of the rock. <laughs> he stops as he hears Plume and Eve talking. Are you going to apologize to your brother? A smile spreads across Denny's face. No, he doesn't deserve it. Denny's smile scrunches into anger. Come on, beautiful. Interior, the lobby of the Museum of Natural History. Continuous. Eve wheels around on Don't call me that! What? I'm not, and you always say I am, and it makes me feel stupid. What? Beautiful? Evie, you are beautiful. No, I'm not. I'm pink. <laughs> Eve? Your mom is pink. Don't you think your mom is beautiful? Yes. So, don't you think you're beautiful? Eve shakes her head. Your mama says she looked just like you when she was your age. Don't you think she was beautiful then? But she lived in Indonesia. All her friends were pink. All my friends just think I'm weird. They think Denny's funny, and they like him, and he is. But why did he have to make them laugh at the dance? I practiced, and I practiced so hard for the dance, so they maybe would like my dancing, but look at me. She daggers her awkwardly wrapped leg. I don't fit in anywhere. No, I won't even fit in at my own dance. She starts to cry again. Blue <laughs> reaches towards her. But she turns and zooms out of the room, her racked leg bumping awkwardly on the marble as she takes off. Interior, hallway outside the lobby, continuous. Denny watches as Eve wings past him. Interior, the lobby of the Museum of Natural History, continuous. Plume stands surrounded by a field of shiny silver debris spread all around the feet of the Brachiosaurus. He hangs his head sadly. Exterior, Museum of Natural History, the next morning. Snow falls gently on the museum. White holiday lights twinkle on a garland wound around the buildings of Birds of North America die around. Good morning. We pan over the idyllic woodland sea, past the scrubby brush now twinkling with Christmas lights, and over the nestled sleeping heads of William and W. Beside them, Eve sleeps in her nest, snoring just a little bit. She jostles, then opens her eyes slightly. Her eyes open wider. Eve sits up, slowly. Her eyes confused. There, piled high beside the nest, are the shiny holiday silver scraps of paper she left scattered along around the lobby. She turns her head down toward her feet, and her eyes go wide. Mama, Papa, look, look! Plume and Dubby scramble out of their nest and over to Eve. They follow her eyes and see Eve's injured leg is now sleek, shiny, and gleaming. The lumpy band-aids and cotton balls have been replaced with a glittering silver ribbon. Eve looks back to her parents. Ow. A smile crosses Plume's face. Santa must have come early. Eve bounds out of her nest. She begins tentatively testing her moves on her new bandage. Plume turns and grins at Dubby. You're a good mama. Dubby cocks her head at Plume. I didn't do it. Plume and Dubby turn perplexedly towards Eve. Denny is standing gently at her side. He smiles softly. That's neat, Eve. Now you'll match your dance. Eve spins elegantly on her now tightly wrapped silver bandage, looping past the heaping pile of silver decorations. Bloom and Dubby smile, as big as two pigeons have ever smiled. <laughs> Dissolve to exterior, Bryant Park, night. Eve and her friends laugh and dance, 
their feet kicking up the silver confetti around them. Eve's ornately wrapped foot, a perfect match to the decorations. By her side, Denny dances awkwardly but exuberantly. All of their friends are having a wonderful time. We pull back to take in the tiny park tucked between the skyscrapers. Skaters spin on the ice rink. Last-minute shoppers hustle through the outdoor holiday market. And a silvery holiday Christmas dance party palooza glints <laughs> under a light festooned tree. Yeah. Fade out. <laughs> This is Jenny Curlin, and you just heard my holiday pigeon screenplay, Ugly Donkey and the Trashfoot Flamingo. Thank you so much for joining us for this special holiday episode. Again, if you would like to get a copy of this collection of very short holiday plays for yourself or someone you love, and also support the programming of the Cry Havoc Company, including this podcast, visit www.cryhavoccompany.org gift and gift a piece of Cry Havoc for the holidays. Thanks again to everyone for joining us. A new season of the Cry Havoc podcast will begin next year. If you have not already done so, please subscribe for free on iTunes to join us again for our regular discussions about the craft of acting, writing, and directing, and about the realities of being a working artist in New York City.
You can also go to iTunes to check out all of our previous episodes, including other special holiday episodes featuring very short holiday plays from previous years, and the special series from this year with a look inside the Cry Havoc new play development process featuring readings and discussions of earlier drafts of some of the plays you heard in this episode. You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company, our upcoming events, and how you can help support the work in the community by visiting www.cryhavoccompany.org. So, for myself, Jenny Curlin, Jen Riker, Jersey Gwistowski, Will Clark, Allie Keller, Caitlin Wilcox, Sharon Cooper, Annalisa Chamberlain, Sydney Painter, Julia Bilbao, Allison Crane, Chris Comfort, Jennifer Kerfman, Brian Coffey, Andy Scully, Annie Flowers, Kate Heaney, Cindy Kay, Becky Sterling Rigg, Emily Schmidt, and everyone at the Cry Havoc Company. Happy holidays, and we'll talk to you soon. You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company at cryhavoccompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavoccompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe.